As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry, hear that local shouting, it's Dainer and Jay, it's Dainer and all right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Brown, Paulina Jr., and Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you on the bye week. Fresh off a big win for the OU Bobcats. Heck yeah. Battle the Bricks last night. Again, it's, it's kind of old hat at this point to watch OU stick it to Miami, but... uh Jay, you were there. How, to, how was it as beautiful as it looked on <laughs> as it looked on ESPN two? Well, there was two things. One, I was really angry last night. Now I'm a little, I guess, grateful. They they had one for an entire stadium. They had one beer trailer, and oh boy, here we go. the The line was we waited 20 minutes and barely moved and said, "Nah, we don't need beer that bad." Um, we were sitting there watching the game with about a minute left before halftime. The people that were five in front of us came back with their beers so wow yeah it was it was ridiculous um so yes but i'm kind of glad i didn't have a bunch of beers at this point the other thing was there was one point it's it's very i mean people that probably watch on tv or don't know there's you it's sit where you want it's very sparsely populated there's some guys in ou gear um a, a section over from us and miami scores a touchdown and they start going crazy and I'm like, what the heck? And an usher even said, what are you guys cheering for? He's like, life's too short to bet the under. So yeah. they didn't care. So and, and everybody was just because it was it was 10 to 7 and a half. It's like, oh, this one's not going over. And then it was a, a scoring fest in the second half. Oh, you won. Everybody went home happy. Everybody in green went home happy. Yes. Life's life's also uh, too short to not have a bet when you're actually at a Mac tilt on yeah. a Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, yes, uh, big win for OU last night. We've got a special episode for you today, kind of a, a string of special episodes that we're doing uh, surrounding the bye week today. It is mid-year award day, but you know, we can't just do this old, tired, you know, trope of the mid-year awards. We got we to spice it up <laughs> so we've spiced it up with an ode to the 90s Bengals. This was inspired by our good friend Mo Egger, who will join us in a little bit. Uh, while I was on his show at Moreline Loggerhouse yesterday, we pointed out that, yeah, you can do the mid-year awards, but we should do something different. And all of a sudden, we came up with the thought, 
What about 90s Bengals being the 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 namesake of all these awards? Bengals, Bengals storyline. So every award that we give out today is going to have some kind of ode to the 90s Bengals as the reason for the award. Looking forward to that. Thank you for many of you that sent suggestions in on Twitter because there's some really good ones in there. Let's just say I'm really excited for the Gary Reasons Leadership Award coming a little bit later, which is a nice Twitter suggestion. <laughs> I, well, I had a question about that one. Yeah, you did. Because it, does that mean good leadership or bad leadership? Well, I mean, I don't know. When, when you walk <laughs> up and you shake the head coach's hat on the bill, uh, I, don't, I think he was standing up for his boys. Okay, so I see. I see. I think it's leadership, uh, policing yourself, right? Your own group, uh, inside of the room of leadership. So oh, that's a, that's just a little hint of where we're going with today's show. Uh, <laughs> we got some promos, some news. We mentioned Mo. We'll recap the Growler bet uh, and uh, run past our boots from this past weekend. But this is going to be mostly all about talking about kind of a recap and a look forward when we talk about the awards. Um, we have our episode with Uncle Mike, uh, with Bengals safety Mike Thomas, which was, he was just fantastic. It was so yes. great. You know, I know that people might hear like, oh, backup safety, uh, that's kind of a weird person to have. He's kind of been somebody I've been thinking about that I really wanted to have some time to really expand the conversation with for a long time for you guys to hear. We hear some of it in the locker room. He is a fascinating figure. He's a vet of this league who – just hoped one day to maybe record a tackle. And here he is still playing. He's He has great insight on Lou Anarumo, um, on the NFLPA. He's a member of the executive committee that was in the negotiations for the CBA. So he knows a lot, I mean, about being a football player and about the difference of this Bengals locker room with a lot of other ones that he's been a part of. He had an incredible story about picking off Tom Brady. All of that is on that episode to go listen to that's up now if you want to i highly recommend it if you saw it and you're like eh, an interview with a backup whatever it is fantastic it's great insight to the Bengals and the league uh and so and just a great dude so i wanted to thank mike for his time jay i know you thought i mean it was i agree with you yeah. it was one of one of the best episodes one of my favorite ones to be a part of yes yeah, same and and i think Calling him a backup safety almost kind of does a disservice because he That's is true. a special a, teams captain. He's and, captain. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, I apologize. Yeah. 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 He's, I mean, he's got the uh, third most special, uh, third most special team snaps this year. Uh, he's just, he is, he's played a key role in, in what this locker room has become. Maybe not what's happening on the field defensively, but a very, very important voice in that locker room. Absolutely. Um, PFF all decade special teamer, by the way. Uh, you know, I mean, he's, it's, uh, it was, he's carved out quite a niche for himself. Um, so that, that episode's up there. Jay, your predictions for the second half story is up on the site. Uh, so people can go check out some of those. Um, and let's see on next Tuesday. So next Tuesday, leading into the Steelers game, we are going to do a, one of these things we like to do these occasionally. Um, this is a good spot to put it in, kind of in the the buy area. Is that you're getting ready for the Pittsburgh game, which has been deflexed to 4:25 on Sunday the 20th. Yay, scribe win uh, <laughs> out of prime time. Chiefs Chargers moves into the prime time slot. Uh, but next Tuesday we're going to do a Burrow sode, all Joe Burrow. 
where he's been this year, how he's gotten here, what's changed with him, projection for the second half. Uh, we're going to bring in JT O'Sullivan, who's sort of an outside quarterback guru, to come and talk a little bit about him. Gonna, he's going to break down some of, of what he's seen from Burrow this year, have Brian Callahan, uh, some of him talking about uh, the evolution of Burrow. We're going to take a look into some of his analytics, some of this, the tape, all aspects of Joe Burrow's year, where it's been, where it's going, and him as a whole next Tuesday. So make sure you come check that out it's going to be a fun episode and real real focused on the guy who's going to have to drive the train obviously uh if they're going to make it back to where they want to make it um Bengals in the afc north uh are kind of the ravens win on monday night man it put them that was that was a big one for baltimore to continue to get to to you know put distance with their schedule that's in front of them in front of the Bengals. And I, I believe the percentage I saw was, was ESPN percentage uh, had them at about 91% to win the North at this time when you take into account the schedules. Uh, and so there's a, the athletic football show has a really great episode up right now, looking at the AFC wild card picture. I highly recommend you go check that out on that feed. Um, talks about the Bengals and all the teams that are in this mix that you're going to need to be tracking through the second half of the season. Great stuff up there. Go check that out. Uh, Jay, let's talk a little bit about news um, before we get into the uh, topics, the uh, the uh, awards. Kevin Huber kind of been, this is kind of in the news now, something we've been talking about. Uh, we yeah. talked to Darren Simmons about it more specifically. Um, you know, had a, had a rough punt again in the Carolina game. And when we talked to Darren Simmons, you know, his point was sort of, look, this has been building for a while, and over the over the bye, they're going to have to have this very real discussion about what's the best way to move forward uh, at punter. Um, before we dive into our thoughts on it, I want to bring you just a little piece of Darren Simmons uh, talking about age with Kevin Huber here right off the top and, uh, you know, what this means as them deciding do they go to Drew Chrisman, who's still on the practice squad. How are you evaluating Kevin at this point? Well, he's been he's been struggling a little bit. That's that's no secret. I think he'll be the first to tell you that. It's uh, he's got himself he's got himself in a bit of a slump too. That uh, I think he, he made a pretty good analogy. He said he's he's great on the practice range. He's not taking it to the first tee. And he's been his practice has been pretty solid. Um, his pregame warmups have been solid. He's just not taking it to the game. He's, he's got to figure out how to get that you know from the range or to the first tee. And uh, he's just not doing a very good job of that right now. Are you saying mechanically uh, what's going on with him? Is it? Look, let me ask you this: Is it harder to spot the mechanics of a punter and a kicker? Is it different? Oh, they're, yeah, they're different because it's two completely different swings. You know, everything in punting is straight. You know, it's a linear; it's a straight line. And everything in kicking is centrifugal to round. So, um, you know, there's a big difference between the two. Um, you know, with Kevin, a lot of it's feel. Um, I've always felt that way with him. Um, you know, without getting too technical, there's a lot of things that go into it. His get-off time's got to be quick and urgent. But, you know, sometimes he overstrides a little bit, which makes it difficult to get the ball out away from him. Again, I said I'm trying not to be too technical, but there's just a variety of things that have figured into his inconsistency. And uh, it's just been a, a myriad of those issues. And I think as you get older, you know, your margin for error becomes really small. Some of these guys are, that are real strong and real powerful have young young legs. You know, can get away with some things. Can get away with the get off times being a little slower. Get away with the drop not being exactly the right spot. They can adjust. And uh, um, you know, his his margin for error with some of that stuff is just it's just reduced. You know, compared to what it used to be. I, I think last practice squad is the buy a time to evaluate where things stand. 
Well, I mean, like, like I said, we, we've constantly, I've constantly been evaluating this whole thing. Um, our punting game, obviously, our punting game's got to improve. Um, you know, we're not, we're not getting out of it what we need to get out of it in terms of flipping the field. And so it's something we'll take a look at over the, over this uh, bye week and, and uh, try to figure out what the best thing is going forward. Is it realistic to really make a punting change coming out of the bye? I mean, you guys have stuck with Kevin for a while. I mean, is it something that, I mean, we talk about evaluating. Is that yeah. really what's on the table that theoretically you could go into Pittsburgh with Drew punting? Oh, I, you know, I don't know. That's something we'll, we'll talk about, I'll think about. You know, we've, we've got whatever it is, how many days to figure that out. Um, it, you know, but this is something that's, that's uh, certainly been building over some time, you know, for sure. You know, we got to do something to, you know, put our team in a good spot to control field position, and we've, we've got to be better with that. It feels like the writing is on the wall here, Jay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it would be... pretty stunning at this point if it wasn't Chrisman when you consider all the language that you've heard from Darren and what you've seen on the field um, over the last few weeks. Yes, but I I wonder too, I mean, that that was one of my predictions in in the piece that's up today, but we felt like this was coming at the end of camp. And I thought that was kind of a, a, maybe not as big of a surprise as it would be if Huber holds on for the rest of the year, but I thought it was a surprise they didn't go with Chrisman from the get-go. And if you remember back to to the pre-camp luncheon and, and Darren was talking about how for the punter, it's become it's it's 60-40 punting and holding. And it's almost even 50-50 now with how rarely they punt inside the 50 and that the holding is a big part of it. And in that conversation, I asked him about where where Drew has come as a punter as a holder. And he said that doesn't factor into this at all, that they're they are they they are fine with how. Drew is handling the holding duties and they had every different because you had two holders, you had two long snappers. They had every different combination working in the preseason. And he said they were, that those were all the same. So this it comes down to nothing other than production. And and trust was a big part of this. Um, you, you wondered if if Drew could handle the moment you knew or you thought you knew Kevin could. But every it's it's not like Kevin's been horrible. But every game, there's one really bad punt. And Darren said that that that's too many. You can't have that. It, it's not like a cornerback, you know, a, a, an offensive tackle. You make one bad play and you're great to the rest of the game. You can overcome that. A punter only gets so many opportunities a game. And if one's terrible, you really put your team in a bad position. And I think that trust is growing in Drew Chrisman as far as handling touch directional obviously he's got the bigger leg and and the trust is evaporating with Kevin Huber because you just you don't know what you're going to get each time he goes back there yeah I mean a couple things that Darren mentioned about look Drew's looked really good in practice and he's been Mm -hmm. doing well and they've been happy with what they've seen here they the fact that they've been putting him out there in pregame warmups and to get him into that mode of what a, what a game week feels like and to get his work in on the game. Um, that's a big part of it too. And, and they, that, that shows where they're at with it and, uh, and holding, not being an issue. It's just, it's hard to find the reason why it wouldn't happen mm. right now. That's, that's, yeah. that's the biggest thing. Um, so we'll, we'll see that decision will probably come early next week, but we'll keep an eye on that. Um, on the injury front, DJ reader, all signs appear to be go um, for him to be back against Pittsburgh. A lot of encouraging, optimistic uh, language from 
from Lou Anarumo, from Zach Taylor. But Zach Taylor pointing out, look, we'll, we'll make those types of decisions next week, early next week when you have to, about activation and, and all that stuff. But yeah, a, a lot of encouragement that it will be on schedule for they kind of thought and hoped it would be, which would be that Pittsburgh game to have him back. Um, so that's big on that side. Uh, Dax Hill, uh, Chris Evans, both kind of dubbed week to week coming off of their injury. Dax uh, with the shoulder and Evans with a grade two PCL. So we'll see. I'm going to guess they'll be without them um, for uh, the beginning portion to give each of their two to three snaps a game that they've been getting. So uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll we'll see how that turns out. But I mean, the Dax thing, they're, he, they're really counting on him to be first off the bench. So it'll be you know, kind of Trey Flowers coming back off his hamstring, which appears to be getting better. We'll kind of be back into helping out there and Uncle Mike being back as the first backup in the safety room. Um, Joe Mixon. Offensive player of the week. That's not really a big surprise. Uh, any other news I'm forgetting about here? Uh, well, it kind of gets overlooked, but I mean, Jamar Chase, uh, Zach said no change on him. He's still in this week-to-week mode. Um, the, and then Josh Tupo, I guess his situation is is mitigated by if if DJ Reader comes back, but, but he has been playing pretty well in there, and uh, he's missed three games. They did not put him on IR, so – the assumption would be they expect him to be back with with Pittsburgh as well, but he has not been one that that Zach has specifically addressed. But that would be a a huge boost to this this defensive line because when you do get DJ Reader back, are are you gonna want to throw him in there with a full snap load right away or kind of ease him back in? And if you've got Josh Tupo available as well, you can you can spell hit spell Tupo for Reader at times. I think the thought is that Tupo might be a little bit longer. And in uh, mm. coming back, but you know, Jake Tufele playing well was in that backup role. Mm-hmm. I think you know you are you're not going to rush him back because you do feel comfortable with what Tufele has been able to give you uh, in that spot too. So, but yeah, I, you know, I, it's interesting. The guy with the limit on the IR returns this year at eight. I mean, it seems like a big number, but when you get through the whole mm-hmm. season, um, you, you don't want to ever be up against it. So, if you have one that possibly could be close, you don't. You're not using the IR. They didn't use the IR on Chase, obviously. That's a whole different story. But in this case, too, I think if you think it's going to be close, maybe uh, proceeding with caution if you don't need it because you want to save those just in case and not be out of IR returns when you really need them at the end of the year when roster gymnastics are all over the place. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Let's start diving through uh, some of our awards here, and then um, 
our good friend from ESPN 1530, Mo Egger, will come in and join us for a few of them as well. Uh, and so we're, we're just gonna we're, we're gonna see where this thing goes, Jay. I'm not, we haven't discussed our our answers, uh, so everybody will hearing this this conversation fresh. And we'll see we'll see how it turns out. Um, let's start here. Let's open with the Willie Anderson non-Burrow MVP <laughs> award. I think every year you probably could have gone non-quarterback MVP uh, and said, oh, yeah, you know what? Willie Anderson probably deserves it uh, for as well as he always played through all those years. So Willie Anderson non-Burrow MVP, Jay, where's your answer? I, I think it, even with the injury, I think it has to be Jamar Chase. I mean, it, with, with what this offense is kind of – tried to adjust to and struggle with. And I just don't know where they would be if, if Jamar Chase hadn't been there for the first six games. Um, you, you hesitate to give an MVP award to, to someone who's missed 25% of the the season or the half season that we're talking about. But I just, I think he's that good, that dynamic, that important to this team that, that he needs to be the pick there. I mean, look, I'm with you. I totally agree. And he still leads the team in receptions yeah. and receiving yards and touchdowns, um, or at least I guess receiving touchdowns. Yeah. And that's with missing the last two weeks. I mean, as in the early part of the season, as everything was going up and down and sideways and the line and and all these, the one thing they had to kind of help carry them through was Burrow to Chase. Like that never went away, mm-hmm. and that helped propel them. And I mean. New Orleans alone? I mean, New yeah. Orleans alone. If you lose that game in New Orleans, how diff- – we talked about the difference you would feel if they would have lost to the Panthers to go to four and five. Imagine not making those plays down the stretch in New Orleans and losing that game and sitting at four and five, and not to mention the total insanity that would have ensued from pitchforks. Uh, you know, that alone might give you the non-Borough MVP award just for that play. Yeah, the the Cleveland loss was bad enough. If you piggyback that on a loss at New Orleans, I mean, even though the Atlanta one was in there, yeah, that it that that would have been that that was one they had to get, and and really it was that might be the play of the year so far the the sixty yard touchdown to Chase because who you would think they could still drive half a field and score there, but there's no guarantees that 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 if if you were picking a play of the year, that would be mine right now. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you think about it. I mean, the close games that they've been in, they've lost all of them but that one. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's, you know, when people talk about outlook for the second half of the season, I think you expect that to even out maybe a little bit. I I mean, when you have Burrow, and as many times as he put them in position to win, you don't expect them to be a team that is awful in one-score games Mm -hmm. or close games. I mean, they've been so good in those because Burrow always seems to find a way. And the weird part has been Burrow has seemed to always find a way to do it, and they still kept losing them somehow. So (laughs) that just feels like – that feels like the oddity of the first half to me is – is the fact that he kept bringing them back in these close games that they were in. We're talking about Pittsburgh. We're talking about Dallas. Baltimore, Baltimore. too. Seemed like all of those games, man, they they should have won those. Burrow felt like they put them in position to win those games, and they didn't. That feels like something that can recenter itself a little bit in, in the second half and see the luck maybe more go their way. Um, 
All right, let's let's not get too far off tangent. We have a yeah. lot of awards to get to. Uh, okay, the Ashley Ambrose Award for Most Improved. Of course, Ashley Ambrose, a free agent signing in the 90s who was okay for Indianapolis and then came to Cincinnati and had a ton of picks and a Pro Bowl. So Ashley Ambrose Award for Most Improved. And it would be fitting. I'd give you extra credit if you gave it to a free agent signing. Uh, but I, I, that is not who I gave it to. Who'd you give it to, Jay? I almost gave it to a free agent signing. I almost went Hayden Hurst, but I am going instead with a non-starter, Samaj P. Ryan. Um, he is he has been very for a struggling running game, for a struggling pass protecting offensive line. He has been really good, and I, I dug up some numbers. His if you just look at his numbers through the first nine games of a season, he has a career high in targets receptions, receiving yards, tied his career high in receiving touchdowns, second highest rushing yards, and highest yards per carry. This is, I mean, he is having a terrific year in a limited role, but still um, definitely improvement. And an important one. I mean, let's take let's yeah. take the Samaj P. Ryan conversation back to before the season. <laughs> right. All people are talking, how could you possibly give the ball to Samaj P. Ryan on third and one twice in the Super Bowl? Right. And he was <laughs> it's it was, I mean, it was a kind of a joke uh of Samaj P. Ryan and how he's come out. He hasn't allowed a single uh pressure in all his protections in on third mm. downs and in two minute which has been valuable. He's the highest-ranked pass-protecting running back in football by PFF. I mean, absolutely. And when he they've given him the ball, people have said, more Pirine, right? It went from how could you possibly to more Pirine at one point in the season. And uh, and so I, I'm, I'm with you. He was certainly somebody I considered, and I'm glad that you went that direction. I'm going to go Cordell Volson. Uh, and so you, you, you bring in the rookie aspect of this, but, you know, from – the first unfortunate play of the season for him uh, being one-on-one against Cam, future Hall of Famer Cam Hayward and giving up a sack and some of the early ups and downs and just where he was as a fourth-round draft pick and the expectations and the beginning of camp to yeah. where he is now. When's the last time we talked about Cordell Volson? Mm-hmm. I mean, really? He, he, has be, he has blended in with this line. And not really been part of the problem. He's he's acquitted himself well. He's developed nice chemistry uh, with Jonah Williams and with Ted Karras next to him. Those guys certainly helping him along and helping mask some of these things. But you know he's he has really solidified himself as part of the answer uh, that you know has been dogging this team and franchise for a long time. And you know I think you would be bemoaning more the healthy scratches of Jackson Carmen that have gone on. But I mean, talk about a storyline that's long forgotten. I mean, it didn't take long for that thing to work itself out and Volson to just take it and, and be the guy and be solid. So I, I'll, I'll give it to Cordell Volson. I, I do wish I would have gone with somebody with a free agent status as, as Ashley Ambrose, but uh, I, I didn't. Um, okay. Let's see. Let's go to the next one here. Okay. The, Garrison Hurst is still good award for player you would like to see more of in the second half. Okay. So if people remember, the Bengals brought Garrison Hurst in coming off a, a brutal injury history. And out of nowhere in the 90s, all of a sudden Garrison Hurst was just running it up for the Bengals. Uh, it was ridiculous. So player you'd like to see more of. And I would say um, I'll put a special asterisk, extra credit also if there's an injury history here, which I have. 
I do not have an injury history, and I, I do not even have really much of any history at all, but it is a player I would like to see more of, and it's Trenton Irwin. I just Whoa. think that guy makes plays, and I – if we see more of him, it means we get to talk to him more. And I love talking to that guy. I, I went up and asked him Monday about the the almost touchdown in the corner of the end zone. If he saw any replays that that indicate he really did get it, and he said no. He was talking about. It. And I said, "Is there a small part of you that's glad that's glad you didn't get the touchdown? Because if you get that, then Joe Mixon doesn't get the franchise record." He's like, "Hell no!" He's like, "I'm not going to sugarcoat that." He's like, "I wanted that touchdown." He's like, "I'm very happy for Joe that he got the record, but no way. I there's not a." Any piece of me that is happy, I did not get that touchdown. I should have got that touchdown, and I think he's right. You know what I really enjoyed about that and I thought was telling was how much Joe Burrow and T. Higgins, mm. talking to them after, really wanted Trenton to get that touchdown. They were just pissed off that he didn't afterwards you know and burrow on the field had a big reaction to when they said no touchdown and in the locker room everybody was talking there's a lot of love for guys like that and in that room and i think that speaks can i this is kind of an arby's we're not we don't have an arby's (laughs) slated but i just this is just kind of a weird story it's an unfortunate thing that happens sometimes it just makes me it just i couldn't help but laugh at uh ben baby from espn was talking to trenton Irwin yesterday in the locker room at one point He's happened to see this, and they're talking in a very normal way. And in the middle of the conversation, I, I guess he was going to take a shower. Trent Irwin just like took his clothes off in the in midstream conversation. <laughs> like there, I feel like there is no area in life where there isn't a contract that is once a conversation starts, everyone's clothing situation stays the same throughout. Like you can't just take your pants off <laughs> like it's just such a weird locker room thing that can happen it happens occasionally it's so it's so uh startling you know and it's just like wow okay i didn't you you i'm just happy i wasn't the one having that conversation uh because it it's it, it will certainly throw it will certainly throw you off okay my uh garrison hurst is still good award for the player you want to see more of uh i'm gonna say akeem davis gaither i he has played well this year he's made plays when given the chance he's proved versatile he's he's made plays as a blitzer he's made plays uh in coverage you know i understand they have logan wilson and Jermaine Pratt, and they're both playing well, but you know his his snap count at one seventy six is fine. You know you it's it's hard to find ways to use the third linebacker, but I I think he could be used more in that hybrid role. I I just I just feel like I I want to find ways to see more of him because I feel like he's played well and is taking a step. And coming off his injury last year uh, was a, a big deal, being all the way back, and he looks fully healthy from that. So that's my that's my injury. Uh, extra credit that i get in the in yes, the garrison I like that one. award all right let's bring our good friend mo Egger from espn 1530 what's going on how we doing guys oh we're, hey, mo. we're, we're doing good yesterday uh at at morning logger house we we sort of stumbled into the concept of spicing up the <laughs> the trope of the mid-year awards with mm-hmm. 90s bangles and so we we have some 90s bangles names and uh takes that we're going to pull out here for we've got let's see we have one four awards for for the three of us to go through here to to get into this are you are you excited about this or do you do you support the names and and ideas that we've thrown into these yeah yeah the the fact that these are named after iconic members (laughs) of the uh some of the bengals most uh dreadful teams makes me happy 
Yeah, it's it's good stuff. Um, okay, let's start here. This is the, I think year five will be the one Dave Shula really writes the ship <laughs> award for preseason prediction you'd most like back. We've all had lots of things and takes and that were said back in August and thoughts about this Bengals team. And uh, just like saying, you know what, definitely year five's the one. Uh, which one, Mo, would you most like back from then? Uh, when I went on and on and on about how Joe Mixon was going to have a monster season, and mm. I didn't quantify it with anything statistical. I didn't, wasn't, he's going to lead the league in rushing, or he's going to have 1,500 rushing yards, or 1,800 yards from scrimmage, anything like that. I just talked about him having a monster year. It was an improved offensive line, and I think how we knew teams were going to play the Bengals, begging them to run. I thought this offense and this running back were going to be equipped to take advantage and have Joe put up insane numbers. Maybe this is something we revisit at the end of the season. If it turns out that his performance against Carolina ends up being the uh, the start of something big, but we've gone from me wondering how huge of a season can he have to now wondering if he's even going to be on the team next year. And so there is a preseason take I would like to have back. I said often and emphatically, Joe Mixon's going to have a monster season as it turns out, he's had but one monster game. Yeah. Jay, what do you got? I, I was I, That was one of mine because I just thought the, the offensive line signings were going to be a bigger deal for Joe in the running game than they were for, for pet protecting Burrow. But the one I, the one I most want to have back, and it's, it's more Bengals adjacent, but I, I told every show I went on, I said, everyone's forgetting about the Steelers, but they have a great defense and they actually are going to be better <laughs> at quarterback, whether it's Trubisky or Pickett, better than what Ben Roethlisberger was at the end of his career. They are going to be players in this division. And yeah, they are terrible. And I'm sure that disappoints no Bengals fans, except for maybe the ones that like watching them in primetime. But um, yeah, that's that's one I'd like to have back because that looks really bad. The Steelers are as bad as they've ever been in a long time. Uh, that's good. I I will take. I will say the one that I would like back is the Dax Hill is going to change the <laughs> dynamic of this defense. I mean, the versatility, the way they can use him. He's the chess piece that Lou Anarumo has always wanted. Yep. And hey, for three snaps at a time, I guess he's been that right. Uh, but the the total, I I, I whiffed on the total lack of usage and reluctance to use somebody who had looked so good in camp and they had talked so much about how he would be a perfect fit for the extra sub stuff that Lou Anarumo wanted to do. I did not see that coming, and I definitely wish that I could have a lot of those thoughts back. You, you weren't alone. I think everybody thought we were going to see a lot more Dax. Yes, and, and maybe we will uh, at some point down the stretch, but it's certainly not – he's certainly not a chess piece outside no. of maybe like a pawn that, that you start the game off with and go forward and then it gets whacked. And gets taken. Uh, yes. Uh, okay, second award here, Mo. The They probably should have taken the Saints deal instead of a <laughs> Keeley Award for preseason take. You wish you would have screamed louder. Uh, what is your what is your preseason take? You wish you would have screamed louder, Mo. That they should offer Von Bell some of the money that Jesse Bates turned down. Mm. Uh, most underrated player on the team, Jay. You wrote about him a few weeks ago. I mean, uh, you, you talk about amid all these great acquisitions from other teams, he's kind of the guy that we bring into the conversation later than everybody else, and I sort of feel like he kind of gets portrayed as this like you know old dude, right? He's not even. I don't think he's yet twenty nine years old. He never plays poorly, 
we spent, God knows I did, hours upon hours upon hours going on and on and on about Jesse Bates. Meanwhile, nobody talked about Von Bell. He's played well this season. He's a big part of this defense. He would cost, I think, a fraction of the money that Jesse turned down. Uh, do we really want to go all young in the secondary next year? I wish we would have made a bigger deal about this. I wish we would have made a bigger deal. I know I mention it occasionally. This should have been my thing. Uh, the Bengals should offer Von Bell some of the money that Jesse Bates turned down. And Von should say yes. Von Bell turns 28 on December 12th. So, I mean, yeah. still still young, 27 right, right now. Yeah. What do you got, Jay? Um, I hate that this one's here because I hate what, what happened to the guy. And, and I wasn't alone in this by any means, but – and I, I think Paul, you were right there with me. We we said that that Chidobe Awuzie was going to break out and that he was going to be have a Pro Bowl type year, and he did. He was having one um, until the injury obviously derailed his season. But um, that I, I was struggling to find one where I was a, a lone wolf, and um, so that's that's the one I'm going with because I think that's the one that I was most right about. And, and Paul, you were right there with me. Everyone thought Chidobe was going to have this great year, and and he was. And it's just it's it's a real shame that we're not going to get to see him play till next year. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, mine would be this. It would be and one that was discussed a lot, but I, I just feel like we never quite. I, I wish I would have emphasized it even more. The line is going to take time. You know, the Collins injury, the, the Collins injury, the Kappa injury, you know, we, we barely talked about the fact that Kappa missed so much time and was coming off a core muscle surgery too, and he was working his way into camp. I mean, they never, we all talked about how they never played together, but I think everyone still, despite all of that, thought and a rookie at, at left guard, I think despite all of that, the expectation still was they will instantly show up week one. And it should just mold together and start mauling people. They spent all this money. It's going to be fixed. And I, there was not enough screaming, I guess, if you want to call it that, about, look, you, you, this is going to take some time when you consider all the different pieces that are coming together, how little time they actually spent working together, and it ended up being a big part of the early portion of this season. They've certainly stabilized some. How much? We'll, we'll see where, they, where their ceiling is. Um, but... I think that was something that probably I wish we I would have even emphasized even harder as much as we were at that point in the season. All right, let's just take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, next. The Big Daddy Dan Wilkinson Award for Biggest Disappointment. It's really hard, Mo, to pick a namesake for this. There were so many options when you went through yeah. the yeah. '90s Bengals. Like, who should this? Feels like the this is like the MVP award of an obscure <laughs> '90s Bengals, you know, award ceremony because there were so many disappointments, so many great nominees to choose from. But I think Big Daddy was never really hurt. He was a number one pick. He just wasn't very good. 
and it was kind of a real, an, an underrated uh, underachiever in Bengals history. Yeah, you know, sort of everybody talks about the year after Kajana Carter and what happened with him, but I mean, he had massive bad injury luck. Dan Wilkinson was just bad. Yeah. So, and you know, the remarkable thing about him, as much as he is regarded as one of the bigger busts ever, he played like 12 or 13 years in the NFL. 13. Yeah. Yeah. Went to Detroit, I think Washington and, and was never a star, but was, you know, a more than serviceable player. I would have killed for serviceable (laughs) when Dan Wilkinson was a, uh, a Cincinnati Bengal. Um, I'm going to go Jonah Williams. Not that Jonah's been awful, but, Mm. you know, look, I watched him get worked by a couple of elite pass rushers. Um, This this was a guy that I thought this season had the potential to make a huge leap. Uh, He was the one incumbent offensive lineman. He's kind of the the foundational piece, 11th overall pick. Last year, he played and got through the season. And, yeah, I admire the fact that he gutted it out and came back and played pretty well after getting injured uh, against the Baltimore Ravens coming back in that game and doing okay. But – I just, there have been way too many times where I've thought that guy doesn't look like a foundational protector of Joe Burrow's blind side. I expected more. I haven't gotten it from Jonah Williams. Yeah, that was my pick as well. And it's relative because, you know, first round pick, number 11 overall, you expected this leap this year. It hasn't been there. He hasn't been terrible, but he's not been what you expected and really what you need if if, if you're going to move forward with this offensive line to protect Burrow a little better. And the, the center of that line has been good. Uh, Paul mentioned the the injury to Collins. So he has a, a bit of a pass, but no excuses for Jonah. He, he has to play better. Okay. I, I'm kind of taking this a little bit outside of what you would normally think. And I'm going to give it to the Steelers game. Like, hmm. This that game is really the difference between. I mean, how do you feel about the Bengals at this point? If they're six and three, they came back and overcame the slow start against Pittsburgh. They kick the extra point chase with the walk off winner against Pittsburgh, and then they the otherwise the schedule looks kind of like something you might think it would. A tough loss in prime time uh, to the Ravens, who are very good. A t- the Cowboys are good. You lose at the buzzer to them. You, you you had a clunker against the Browns. Whatever, but you're six and three. You won all the games you really should have for the most part, and and you feel fine. But the fact that you had five turnovers and botched two chip shots that would have won you the game against an awful Pittsburgh team mm. that you had no business losing to is one that just feels like the one outlier this season and the one game that has hung over their heads the entire time mm. when you think about, oh, it could come down to a tiebreaker, could be they, they might be fighting for a wild card and need one extra game. And just the fact the the I, I don't know if it's too strong to use unpreparedness because there was a lot of just bad mistakes in there, but mm-hmm. from everybody not being ready for what Pittsburgh was going to bring and all those turnovers to lose that game is to me is the biggest disappointment of the season more so than just any single player's play because it just hangs out there as where you'd feel so much better about this team if it weren't for that game. Yeah, it's interesting because when I first jotted this down, I I wrote down 0-3 against the AFC North. And then mm-hmm. I figured the exercise was better aimed at a player, and so poor Jonah Williams ended up <laughs> taking the bullet. But, I mean, to, to me, over the first half of the season, or roughly the first half of the season, the Pittsburgh game stands out, I think, more than the other two. The Browns game was at least on the road. They were coming off, you know, Jamar Chase getting hurt. Cheeto got injured during the game. But the fact that they've played 
as defending division champs, uh, three games against conference opponents, and let's face it, haven't played well in any of them and have lost all three, that looms over everything that's going to happen over the course of the next eight weeks. That, to me, is a massive disappointment. And, you know, two of the games coming in primetime maybe amplifies the disappointment. Certainly the Pittsburgh game with Joe Burrow throwing five picks or turning the ball over five times is not something anybody ever could have imagined. But, all right, you had a chance to sort of make up for it, in the division at least, if you beat Baltimore. If they get a stop, they do. Uh, you could... Uh, you could make up for it to a degree if you beat Cleveland. They were offensively non-competitive. All that added up to me from the standpoint of most disappointing first half of the season development. To me, it's that uh, donut they've put up against uh, division foes. Absolutely. Uh, all right, let's wrap it up here with um, the Jeff Query Award for biggest surprise <laughs> of the season. I mean, it also could go to best mullet, but we'll just focus on performance <laughs> on the field. Query beloved uh, amongst early 90s Bengals. For those of you that don't know, give a Google and uh, and tip your cap. Um, what do you got, Mo? Weirdly, Akeem Adenogy has come yeah. in twice. Uh, and both times I, I felt this nervous sort of pit in my stomach thinking this is going to go poorly. And both times he held his own. Now on both occasions, uh, first for Jonah Williams against Baltimore, then for Lyle Collins against Atlanta, the player that Akeem replaced came back into the game. But when he was out there, you didn't notice him. And you know, look, this is a guy that a lot of us wondered, is he even going to be on the team? And maybe what we've seen is, a guy evolving into a pretty important role. The swing tackle can play both left, can play both right. And my wager is at some point he's going to have to see the field this year. Uh, and I feel a little bit better about that happening if if that does happen. My original thing that I wrote, I wrote down Cordell Volson, not because I think anybody is surprised that he's played all right. If 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 they were, they weren't paying attention during the preseason. But I think for a lot of folks, the way him getting the starting left guard gig was portrayed was, well, Jackson Carmen lost it maybe more than Cordell wanted. I don't think that's a fair characterization. He's played well, but on the offensive line in particular, but really even across the entire team on two different occasions this year, when Hakeem Adenogy left the game after appearing in it, I said to myself, wow, that didn't go as bad as I feared. And that was surprising to me on both occasions. Yeah, I think they've scored on three of the four possessions that Adenogy was in for. So um, I had a 1A and a 1B here. and The one was Volson, and it kind of goes back to what Paul said before you jumped on, Mo, where I just I thought there was going to be more plays like that first play of the year where he just got beat really bad, gives up a sack, and you haven't seen that. So that's been a surprise. But I, I think I'm going to go with, with Von Bell's four interceptions. He, he had two picks, two career picks before this year. Mm-hmm. He's got four this year. He's one off the NFL lead. He leads the Bengals, obviously, with that. I don't think he's played great overall. He's been what you've expected, but the turnovers have been big. The the four interceptions for a guy that only had two in his entire career, I think, is the definition of a surprise. I am going to focus on the interior defensive line for a couple of reasons. One, I think the biggest surprise has been 
how well the run defense has held up since DJ Reader went out. I mean, there was a lot of fright of those four teams they were facing, the top four rushing DVOA attacks in the NFL without Reader, and they did really well. I mean, Nick Chubb's worst day of the season in terms of yards per carry, uh, and they were kept handing it to him. They did a decent job. The Atlanta, this great, varied rushing attack, and that's how they're going to take it to you. Grand score takes them out of it a little bit, but they did a great job there against Carolina. You know, that is, without reader there, uh, a, a great tip, you know, a feather in the cap for the personnel staff for finding Jay Tufele to help mi- – mix that in for Zach Carter playing well enough to help mix that in for Sam Hubbard helping make up for it by making even more plays as a run stopper strong man of Moeller of course Mo and uh you know you, you but everything that's happened there to make up for that is has been you know one of the the most pleasant surprises because you because the other side of it is DJ Reader playing at this level like DJ Reader has always played at a high level and they have had high expectations for him what he was doing in those games before he got hurt, the the three games plus, I mean, he was playing all pro level defensive tackle, disrupting everything. And so I think the combination of what they have there um, and, and kind of evolved to to me is something that I'll put in for uh, for, for biggest surprise. Before uh, we go, I, I don't want to do the whole betting section session because I know we're, we're, that's not on the but I, I need to give Mo credit for maybe the bet of the year last what? week. He, well, he picked Bengals minus 7.5, so he won that easy. His other bet was P.J. Walker under the passing number. I forgot to look up the passing number, but I'm pretty sure nine was under the number. Correct. <laughs> so, Correct. Easy, easy win for Mo there. What we'll if it, it was over under eight and a half? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, do you have the standings for the year, our mid-year standings in front of you, Jay, or do you have to look those up? I have them. I'd rather not read them, but um, I oh, do have ahead. them. Just, just, so, just so uh, we know for the record where things stand. Yeah, in our Paul hit a parlay fiction. last week. He had he had Patriots and Bears hit both of those to. Hit, he was the first one to win a parlay. So Paul is in front at plus one eighty six. Uh, Mo is in second at plus one thirty five point four, and uh, I'm minus twenty four point four. That's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. <laughs> uh, it's very fortunate. This is fictional. All right. Uh, all right. I appreciate it, Mo. Thanks for joining in the inspiration uh, for all of these great 90s Bengals topics. And you, do you have a favorite 90s Bengal before you sign off? It's actually somebody we mentioned because he remains uh, a part of the name. He's basically the name of my fantasy football team, which is Jeff's Query. Uh, yeah, like, that's great. Jeff, Jeff Query, it, it, I, I've never looked up his numbers, but it felt like in some absolute routes where they would lose like, you know, 38, 12, Jeff was good for like six catches for 64 yards and that blonde hair flapping under his helmet. Oh. So I'm going to go Jeff query, Jeff query. He is, <laughs> he, he should have, a, he should be hanging now, in the it, rat, it, ring of honor in all honesty. I mean, in, in no BSing my second favorite Bengal of all time is Jeff Blake. Hmm. Like I love Jeff Blake. Jeff yeah. Blake got Paul Brown Stadium built. The Shake and Blake era was fun. I went to Pittsburgh when I was a freshman in college. They smoked the eventual AFC champions on Thursday Night Football because Jeff mm-hmm. Blake was just dropping bombs to Darnay Scott. I love Jeff Blake. And one of my favorite people that I've ever had a chance to interview, we did a throwback Thursday segment. Jeff came on and was awesome. In my hierarchy, it's Boomer one, Jeff Blake number two. 
Query My three. All time top two <laughs> favorite Bengals. Jeff Query is maybe maybe he rounds out the top five. <laughs> Blake will tell you some good stories. Jay, you you've heard you've heard some good stories from from Jeff Blake as well. He's, he he'll tell you a few. Yeah, he will. And, and I hope he was clothed when you interviewed him. <laughs> Admittedly well, naked, right, Jay? Was he, it, yes. I, it was, it was a phone that, interview. This was a phone interview, but yes. <laughs> yeah. God. We got him on the uh, – Jeff plays also now at the Super Bowl. He was he looked like he was 75 years old. Uh, so yeah. uh, Grecian formula, Jeff. But, yes, uh, I do love me some Jeff Blake. Uh, Mo, I appreciate it. You have a wonderful day, and uh, we will catch you uh, next week. I waited in line at McGalpin's and Crestview Hills to get Jeff Blake's autograph. Okay. <laughs> I got Jeff Blake's stories. See you guys. Later, Mo. Did not expect a McGalpin's drop here today, but <laughs> no. I appreciate it. Uh, we've got many more of these awards to get to, Jay. So let's uh let's keep it rolling here. I have got we're gonna we did the Garrison Hurst is still good award for player you want to see uh more of. So let's go now with the Brian Milne should never touch the ball award for player you want to see less of. Uh, this is um, this is I, I don't know if this was a, a hard one or what did you have, Jay? It was kind of hard. I, I went Mike Thomas. I just mainly because I want to see of more Trent Taylor and Trent Irwin. But Mike Thomas, uh, nine targets this year, two catches. He had the bad drop against Cleveland. Um, I just. Uh, he, he's fine on special teams, but I, I I almost hesitate to mention him as wide receiver four now. I, I think Taylor or Irwin deserve that that role. He he gives you speed that those other two don't have, but I just think they're more reliable and and more playmakers than what he's shown so far. Uh, I have the same answer. Yeah, I, I have the same answer, and, mm. and it kind of goes back to another one, one of the awards we talked about: things you wish you would have screamed louder, and we screamed it a lot. I mean, I can go back to – we have many uh, social posts from off-season stories of the Bengals need to be more aggressive for the backup wide receiver spot. It's something that we did. I I probably didn't say that I should have screamed it louder because we always were saying it over and over again. I Mm. mean, whether it was Keelan Cole or any number of these guys that were sort of out there, they never really aggressively went after. In the draft, they never really went after. And I think that has shown up here as Mike Thomas has so far been – and he's played a decent amount, actually, in, in some of these games mm-hmm. between Higgins going out and, and Jamar going out and has really done very little. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you can tell his trust has diminished from Joe Burrow. And if you don't have that, you don't have snaps. And uh, I think that's what we saw last week. Uh, all right, let's go to the next one. We've got a the Tremaine Mack Asleep at the Wheel Award uh, for <laughs> just – Jay, that was that was your. Yeah. Okay, I'll put I'll put you on the hook for that one. You like that one. Well, I have a friend who I swear once every year texts me, "Who was the Bengals receiver that got arrested for sleeping in his car on the suspension bridge?" He can never <laughs> remember his name, and I guess it always comes up in a story, but he can't remember his name. I'm like, I always have to text him back. It was Tremaine Mack, and I don't want to make light of an OVI, but um, I, I just I thought that it was it was too easy to throw in as an award category here. So um I'm I'm not gonna do an overall body of work asleep at the wheel, but but Dax Hill getting quick snapped while putting in his mouthpiece and getting burned for a fifty three yard pass in Cleveland uh definitely fits the definition of a sleep at the wheel. Yeah, I, I'm going with a similar um concept for this. Uh it is gonna be 
Akeem Adeniji and Drew Sample just not blocking Minka Fitzpatrick on the game-winning <laughs> extra point attempt. Both of them just kind of doing some sort of soft, lean elbow thing while Minka just runs right in and knocks mm-hmm. it down. Uh, you know, talked about the Steelers game a little bit ago. A little effort not being asleep at the wheel there on a t- on a standard extra point, and uh, the Bengals are six and three. Uh, so just that one, I think, isn't asleep at the wheel for me. Two people driving. It's like a. <laughs> it's like when you're in the the driving class, right? When you're sixteen, yeah. and both both people can can hit the brakes or whatever. Both people just staring off uh, at the lights and the trees on that one. All right, um, I'm moving. I move this one up here. The Derek Fenner is the best running back award for most disappointing position group uh, on the Bengals. If you remember the year where, Jay, you've looked this stat up where Derek Fenner, it was the lowest rushing yards that I in Bengals franchise history for a leading rusher. I think it was 460 yeah. or something like that. Derek Fenner, 1994. Uh, so most disappointing position group for you, Jay. Uh, I'll say special teams. Um, yeah. Chris Evans has not returned kicks the way that we thought he, he, he was so good in the playoffs. Uh, didn't get a chance early, but he, they have been kicking it to him lately, mainly because he's not getting great returns. Um, we, we've already discussed Kevin Huber's issue and, and Evan McPherson is, is missing at a, a much higher rate than he was last year. And, um, I, I don't, he's not worried about it. Darren Simmons isn't worried about it, but it is disappointing especially when you consider that you know the a couple of those misses cost them that pittsburgh win that we've already discussed and um the one lot the one miss last week 48 yarder when you're already up by a ton that's not a big deal but um as a body of work uh, yeah i think trent taylor's been a very nice surprise as a punt returner but the rest of that special teams just hasn't been great i mean too many men on the field returns mm. i mean there, it's been it's been a cycle of stuff happening over there. Uh, also underrated miss um, that Browns miss that would have made it eight mm-hmm. to three, and you'd be kicking off and giving a long field instead. It was a short field, and the Browns kicked the field goal instead. So instead of a five point game at halftime, which is one that feels very normal, you're down eleven and nothing, and the Browns come out and score after that, and you're and it's game over. Yeah, um, uh, a big one that kind of flipped the script there. Um, for me, it's the running backs. I mean, and outside of obviously what's happened last week, I know we had P. Ryan, but, you know, whatever's been going on with Chris Evans having zero run and the Mixon issue uh, of whatever's been going on with Mixon unable to get it going until just recently, until this game against Carolina, I think that has been probably a a disappointing position group. Uh, You just expected to have a little bit more going on. But, yeah, you know, P. Ryan, I, I think, isn't the outlier here that's not part of this conversation, but in general, mm. um, hoping for more from that position group. All right, let's go next. The 1992 to 94 award for most Groundhog Day aspect of the season compared to last year, mm. uh, which those three years just all blend together as the same pile of crap until Jeff Blake showed up, basically. Uh, uh, shout out to JD Biting on Twitter for that one. Um, let's go. What do you got, Jay? Yeah, the O-line giving up all these hits and sacks more through the first nine games this year than they gave up through nine last year when they they gave up the most in franchise history. So um, it's just I, I know they they downplay it and uh, they like to talk about volume a lot, but they're they're actually giving up a higher percentage of sa- snaps per dropbacks this year. Um, it just it it almost it's it's. it's 
almost not a groundhog day because they it, that would have been if they kept the line the same. They improved the line, but yet the production is is even worse than it was. So just there's been a lot of talk uh, about the O-line and the sacks given up, and it just it definitely has that Groundhog Day feel to it. Yeah. Um, Groundhog Day for me is the record and the uneven offense, and that may be sound easy, but, it I mean, five and four at the break with an offense that's kind of gone a little bit up and down uh, over the course of it and, and working their way through some things, but in the highs have been high, you know, last year, similar type of thing, the Baltimore game, but then you'd have some clunkers on top of it, and then they really found their way as the, as the season went on, but sitting there at five and four at the break and with a lot of big name opponents uh, ahead of them on the schedule was the case last year. It is the case again this year. Um, and, and so I, I think there's a lot to choose from here. There are a lot of similarities as I think the difference is the expectations coming in. I mean, the, the difference in how five and four feels is one, you've clearly had a run of beatable opponents, but also just the expectations that you would look more like the chiefs and the bills and less like last year's first half Bengals. Uh, so for that fact, it's different, but really, in actuality, there's a, there's a lot of of similarities when you talk about the way that they look. Um, so I'll say I'll say that just sort. Of, you ran through those numbers, Jay, uh, from last year to this year, and it's amazing the similarity. Yeah. Whether you're talking about Burrow or just overall as a whole offensively um, through nine games at the break, how much it all looks very similar to what last year did. Yeah, and really the sacks were the only thing that were majorly different, and they, they were worse. So that that is not a good thing. Yeah. Uh, all right, the Craig Yeast Best Special Teamer Award. That Shout-out to Obscure Bengals on Twitter, who this was basically made for him. He really should have been our third person in here. Uh, the Craig Yeast Best Special Teamer Award, who you got, Jay? I actually had a nice conversation with Craig Yeast at training camp this year. He was there for the Rams joint practices because his son was a sixth round draft pick of the the Rams this year. So uh, it was it was good to to, to I, would, I won't say catch up with him because I didn't cover the team when he was here, but it was it was good to talk to him. Um, I'm going to go back to our friend Uncle Mike here. I just uh, he he is kind of the definition of obscure. Uh, he's he's playing on all four special teams, uh, pr- personal protector on punt punt. Pr- punt team sorry i can't talk today um but yeah he's just he is his value on the field and special teams and in the locker room and um he he hits that he hits that obscure um moniker i i I, if there weren't two mike thomases on the team (laughs) I, i wonder how many people would even know uh he was there yeah um I'm going to go to old reliable Stanley Morgan. You know, mm. you notice it when he's not there, you know, a little bit and and how when there are punts it seems like, "Oh, where's where's the uh where's the gunner that's always there to kind of force the fair catch or whatever." He's he's a noticeable player when he is out there and is healthy and he does bring a lot of juice to them. I think he's a uh, he he is into Maven status at this point, special teams <laughs> Maven. I I've, I've upgraded him from Ace. Uh so uh he's an easy one to go with. All right, next the Dave Shula worst decision of the year while looking unnecessarily confident award. Shout out John Schroeder on Twitter for that, that idea and included the pictures that went along with it. Uh, what do you got Jay? Uh, well, I, not necessarily due to the unnecessarily confident look, but the worst decision, the shovel pass on fourth down in Baltimore. A lot of people put, look at the Philly special play call and it was big of a problem with that one. The shovel pass just, it, 
it didn't have a chance. You're were, you're were doing it to Stanley Morgan of all people. No discredit to Stanley Morgan. There are better options there. And the whole point of the shovel pass is if it doesn't work out, it's an incompletion, not a fumble. You move on to the next play. So there's kind of a built-in doubt there of whether it's actually going to work to run that on fourth and goal. I just I think that was Zach's worst play call of the year. Yeah, I mean, we really could just lump that entire. Four, you know, series, series in yeah. there at the end. I mean, it's a game changer. Um, it feels like they certainly. It feels like they win that game if they punch that in. Uh, I, I have the Philly special. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just all the trickeration that didn't feel very necessary down there. Um, just it, it, but you can go either direction. I don't think there's any doubt that that was the low moment uh, mm. for for this coaching staff when it comes to uh, decisions. And there's been and there's been a bunch. I mean, there's certainly been a lot that we've questioned along the way, uh, but that's the one that stands out the most. Is just too cute, too in your own head, too trying to be special and and this that and the other, and rather than just get getting the job done. Notice we've seen a lot more straight ahead QB sneak, handing it off of the middle, more mm-hmm. basic plays. Ever since then, they I think they've decided that cuteness at the goal line is uh no longer a direction to go since then all right we're gonna keep rolling here the sam weish was fired or retired award for <laughs> most overblown storyline uh of the year of course people remember when, when that happened it was christmas uh in the early 90s and there was a whole what i no, i i quit uh no you were fired what what exactly <laughs> happened there it, it, it didn't really matter who if you were fired or you quit um it it, it was just it was an overblown storyline but something people spend a lot of time talking about jay what do you have for overblown storyline of the year uh they came out and flat and started zero and two because they didn't play their starters in the preseason oh, now yeah. you can't uh you can't deny they came out flat and started poorly and there was a lot of things wrong with the starts of the season but just because they didn't get their starters a few snaps in the preseason I don't I don't think that had anything to do with it there was maybe the the shortened OTAs the the lighter approach they took through that whole offseason the the burrow appendectomy putting that whole offense behind there's a lot of reasons for it there's a lot of teams that aren't playing starters in the preseason and they're not having that kind of flat start I just I I thought that was overblown, that that was the reason for 0-2. I would, I would, I would agree. I would, I would agree with that being, being an overblown. It was some, but it was, it was something to talk about. It was the only thing Mm. really going on, uh, back then. Um, I, I'm torn on this one. I've got a couple different directions I want to go. I'm going to say, I'm going to say the, Joe Burrow had an appendectomy, and that's why he's struggling early in the year. I look. I think that was a deal, right? This is this is not. I, this is why I struggle with this. And I'm not saying that it wasn't a deal. I'm not saying that Burrow's wasn't trying to work his way back to full health, um, and that his lack of reps in training camp didn't, in some way, play a role in in some of the struggles getting getting going but i just i don't think that that was that big of a deal when it really came to how those first couple of games went i I really don't i i think that he was plenty healthy enough and it was more of 
Pittsburgh and Dallas beat the crap out of their lines, and he wasn't able. And they had not figured out yet uh, how how much they need to get back to being a quick offense and getting the ball out of their hands fast, rather than thinking the line's just going to hold up. Um, an error on their part. Not so much. Oh, Burrow's uh, clutch appendix is gone, and now he's no longer the player that he was for a few weeks. I, I think there's a lot of thought that that was really holding him back, and I just think that was overblown and, and never anything. Uh, that I ever got a sense was an issue talking to anybody. Um, okay. Uh, the Gary Reasons Leadership Award that we referenced earlier and we discussed whether it would be good leadership or bad leadership, whatever it was, it's it, it's about you know the team having its leader and policing itself uh, as Gary Reasons shook the hat of Dave Shula back in the day. Shout out Will Lou for bringing that up on Twitter. What do you got, Jay? Uh, I've got Shadobe Awuzie. Um, you, you wrote about it in Twib, just the incredible resolve and just introspection that that he had after that injury and talking about how he's going to stick around. You know, a lot of these guys get hurt like that. You don't see him again. Um, he's going to stick around. He's going to be in meetings. He's going to help the team, help the young DBs. Um, Monday, he, he came through the locker room on crutches and I was like, Hey, did, did they let you stand on the sideline or they make you watch in a booth? He's like, they told me I couldn't be on the sideline, but I went down there anyway. And you, <laughs> you, you see that all the time when guys that don't have great mobility, they don't want them on the sideline. Cause you never know when a, a play can run over. That's why DJ reader wasn't on the sideline for it. First couple games of his injury. And for a to be down there still hasn't had surgery yet, still has swelling, still on crutches. And he wants to be on that sideline so he can help, the DB, the young DBs with what they're seeing and their adjustments and all that. I just, I, I think he was a great leader even before he got hurt and it's gone to a new level since the injury. And they'll miss having him around all the time mm. once, once he has a surgery and, and is working his way back. Uh, I'm going to take, this may be the easy way out, but I don't think there's another answer. It's Joe Burrow. They, yeah. they have been on such a roller coaster this year. And the the microscope has been so on them and the pressure and the expectations. Uncle Mike talked about this yesterday. I thought it was great talking about how, look, guys might not admit it, but they're admitting it now. Like the expectations of were real. That did change the way some guys felt and played. And the thing I think that has helped them manage that has been that even keeled nature of Burrow. Everyone mm-hmm. looks to him. And when he is straight ahead, saying the right things, unfazed by the great games, unfazed by the bad games, dropping the relax on us earlier in the year. I mean, all of that stuff has, I think, kept everybody going in the right direction despite the expectations, the pressure they were feeling, the pressure was being applied from the outside, the things being said on the outside. All of that has been, you know, at really at extremes with this team this year, early in the year. But Burrow has been the one thing keeping everybody straight down the middle, and I think that is um, that is notable. I would throw an honorable mention at Ted Karras, yes, uh, who has come in in free agency and become an instant voice and leader for the offensive line room and really the entire offense and an instant captain and kind of blown me away how somebody can come in off of free agency and kind of own the room, a room that had a lot of leaders already as far as the whole locker room and, and become such a guy. So I give him the honorable mention, but I think the more important role has been Burroughs even keeled nature, kind of keeping everybody from getting too nauseated by the roller coaster. Uh, all right, two more. Here we go. 
the It Will Never Be Synergy Field to Me Award for Favorite New Bengals Sponsorship. Plenty to choose from, Jay. Yeah. I believe they're up to 89 new sponsors this year <laughs> or whatever it is. So what is your favorite of the new Bengals, million Bengals sponsors? Okay, maybe it's recency bias or maybe it's not. It's just damn good. But uh, I'm going with the Killer Brownies company. <laughs> they they just announced it and I was and Grippos. And if Grippos could please bring back the cheese nibs, that would be great. But I, I was, we got to the press box. I was like, I can't believe they just announced these sponsors. If there's no Grippos in the press box, there's no killer brownies at halftime. They brought out the killer brownies and I had one and it was killer. It was, it was very big and it was very, very good. And I, I hope that is a new halftime staple. Uh, I like that you're addicted to the, to the nibs. I appreciate that. Why did um, they quit making them? <laughs> they're so good they're for people that don't know they're cheese puffs but they're grippos cheese puffs and they are addicting and they're delicious and for some reason they just quit making them and everyone loves them so bitter uh <laughs> i will um i'm gonna sh- i'm gonna go for swift meats i really appreciate anything that just shows up in like random transactions and uniform announcements some 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 swift meats company that no one's ever heard of i just I enjoy, you know, how much every single company in Cincinnati has tried to latch onto the Bengals train, no matter in whatever mm-hmm. way possible. And man, Swift Meats, there they are. It's like, what do you mean? Is this tweet is sponsored by Swift Meats? I'm not. <laughs> what are Swift Meats? It's just everything about it has just kind of made me chuckle every time I see it. So I'm going with Swift Meats uh, for for their contribution. All right, last one I have here. This isn't '90s, so I feel bad even including it however it deserves to be recognized the kelly washington squirrel best celebration award there's been many this year uh jay what do you have for best celebration of the year well we could have gone with a 90s theme and gone with the achilles smith worst celebration because he did the throat slash that was not a good thing and i thought i did not like the snow angels last week at all i think that's tired there's not even snow on the ground tired Everybody does snow angels. Every Whole every team su- snow angels. I mean, after they win the Super Bowl, they're all sitting there doing it in the confetti. It's just everybody's doing it. Although you're right, I I do love group celebrations, and so that's why I'm picking the other one from that game. The remember the Titans celebration. It, it goes the one I really like the replacements dance they did last year after a mix and touchdown. Uh, the remember the Titans one this year was was my favorite. I did enjoy. Joe Mixon counting one, two, three, four, five after his fifth touchdown. Uh, but I'm a big fan of these group celebrations. And the Remember the Titan ones was spontaneous. They were running out. They, they scored so many touchdowns. They were running out of ideas, and they kind of came up with that one on the fly. And I also like that Cam Taylor Britt, a rookie, was kind of in the middle and the leader of that one. I agree. I picked Remember the Titans uh, as someone who really loves that movie. Uh, and it just came so out of nowhere. I, I really yeah. appreciate it. you've never seen it before. It is a big group celebration. That is my choice. Uh, I would say, you know, honorable mention, honorable mention to BJ Hill trying to jump into the stands and failing <laughs> miserably. I talked to him about that this week. He's like, it's a lot higher than you think. Like, yeah, I know. There, you, you, it doesn't, you don't appreciate it until like, yeah, those receivers, they've got springs. Okay. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. easy for them. Uh, 306 pounds of BJ Hill, a little, little harder, a little harder to do. Um, so for that, uh, I, I will, I will throw that in there, but there, there's been some good, some good ones this year. Um, I it's, I, but remember the Titans to me has been far and above the rest. I, I, you know, you can go back to some other ones 
And but I, I think that the whole team has been good because so many of those the defense ones where everybody runs down, it all looks the same. They pose or they you know whatever. Mm-hmm. This was this was totally different. So I'm with you. I think that is undeniably the best one of the year. And I don't think that's recency bias at all. Yeah. And I was wrong. Uh, that was after an interception, right? That was not that was yes, not that a was touchdown celebration. Yeah. So after an INT. Yep. Uh okay. Jay, we should uh wrap this up and let's what do we have for our uh run passer boots from last week? Okay. Sorry about this. I'm slow. All right. Uh we had what would be greater, uh Brian Burns pressures, Joe Mixon yards per attempt, or Carolina explosive passes. I didn't even look up Burns pressures and Carolina explosive passes because we know it was Joe Mixon's yards per attempt. You ran with that one. So you I hit did. it. I, I went I ran with Carolina explosive passes and passed on Mixon. So uh you nailed that one. Uh the other one was a what will happen first, a missed kick. A Bengals defensive sack or a Chris Evans target, and there was no beef Bengals defensive sack. There was no Chris Evans target, so the winner was missed kick. Uh, that was your pass. It was my boot, so you won both of them last week. Cool. And I thought there was a Bengals shared sack. I was surprised when I looked to see what time the sack came that there was not one in that game. I thought there was a a scoring change, but I. I scrolled through my Twitter feed and I couldn't find me mentioning a sack. I don't know what I was thinking of. Did did you remember? I thought there was a shared one between Hubbard and Hendrickson, but maybe I'm just misremembering. Uh, off the top of my head, going back to the game, I'm, I I do not mm-hmm. I do not remember. They do that sometimes where they will do a, a scoring change, and I know players don't like it when they take one away from them. Sometimes they, they give sure them don't. one. Yeah, but um, yeah, we're we're sitting here at nine games in and uh, Trey with only four sacks, Sam with three and a half Bengals growler bet. Jay, uh, this one, nobody came anywhere close to this one. It was uh, what would be the percentage of rushes to total offensive plays. And you guessed 24.7. I went 33.3, which I thought was high. Uh, it was actually a season high 54.2, uh, the highest guest on from a, from a listener was 42.3. The Bengals just blew that out of the water. And obviously that happens when, when Joe Mixon has five touchdowns and 151 rushing yards and wins AFC offense player of the week. But, uh, yeah, total pivot from what that offense had been the last few weeks. Absolutely. Uh, that will wrap us up, uh, again, no walk out obviously we're not going to walk out from nothing uh this weekend everyone enjoy the bye and then on tuesday next tuesday we are going to have the burrow sode we are going to go all in on joe burrow his first half his second half what is ahead of him his evolution hear from people close to him and some outside observers we'll look at analytics we'll do everything it's all things joe burrow coming up on tuesday in preparation for that Sunday's game against Pittsburgh that will kick off the second half of the season. So really, really looking forward to that. We wanted to kind of make sure we dedicated a full episode and give it give it what it's worth. If you have not listened to the Uncle Mike episode, Mike Thomas, uh, please, I highly recommend going back and listening to one of the most interesting Bengals uh, that you will come across and just a, a super solid, great look at what it's like being an NFL player, what it's been like being a Bengal so much more. So thanks everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed our little flashback, especially those of you that are of a certain age that could 
uh, hear a bunch <laughs> of names and situations and make you chuckle again, remembering the the, the bad old days. Uh, but anyway, thanks everybody for listening. We will uh, talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.